today might have been good if I was somebody else. I've got to say, today was a pretty good day. I woke up this morning, sun was shining, and those stupid birds woke me up. It started off with a great balanced breakfast, and I drank my coffee too fast and burned my tongue. Stupid. And on top of that, if I didn't have such a crummy job, I could have had a car that actually starts. That bus ride was wonderful. I never realized I'm a pretty social person. I loved meeting all those friendly people. I hate people, especially my boss. Can't even impress him. He didn't even give me that raise. I think it's so great that Jeff got that raise. At prayer group, I really thought about my life. At prayer group, I really thought about my life. The good, the bad. Actually, I couldn't really think of anything bad to think of it. I couldn't really think of anything good. Well, well there's, there's one, one thing, thing for sure. sure. Tomorrow's another day. Another day. parts and pages of the Bible, but that God inspired them and the Holy Spirit directed them. And I believe that, that, that God in his divine wisdom was giving you and I the blueprint of joy without Paul really fully understanding what he was putting down on paper. And as we saw, what we saw is that he progressed through this idea and it starts with this big, huge opening concept that says this, is that your joy is not determined by your outside circumstances. But many of us, that's how we live life. We live life reacting to what happens to us, and based on what happens to us, we either feel good or we feel like garbage. We, we, we either have good days or we have bad days. And he goes, actually, that has nothing to do with whether or not you experience joy, that joy is not an external thing nearly as much as it's an internal thing. It's not what's happening to you, but more, in, in essence, what God is doing in you and through you. And here's the big deal, and if you miss this, you, you're going to miss everything, because this is the foundation of it all is that you can't really find lasting joy in life apart from God's presence and his purpose for your life. You take those two things out of the equation, everything else falls over. We can give you every self-help book, every mechanism, every manual, and you know what you'll need. In another year, you'll need a new manual and a new technique and a new mechanism. Because apart from the presence and the purpose of God, everything else we give you is not going to really hold up underneath the weight of life and up, up against the storms of life. And so this is why it all begins with the purpose and the presence of God. But as we build upon that, we realize that life is also about relationships. And you can't have long-lasting joy without the relationships that God's put in your path and in your life. And so you find this throughout the gospel, and you find this throughout the pages of, of, of Scripture, that the key to having great relationships is not what I thought it would be, but it was humility of heart. And then last week, we kind of caught back up, and what, what he did was is he took kind of the, the religious guilt off of us. Because it's hard to be full of joy and feel bad about yourself all the time. It's hard to have joy and feel like because you don't measure up that God doesn't love you. Here's the reality. You don't measure up, and neither do I, and God still loves us. 
And that freedom all of a sudden lifts up all this weight that I'm not living underneath the burden of if I, I have to be good for God to like me. What I then get to do is I get to realize that God already likes me, and in response to that, I live in relationship with him, and because of that, some of the rules just take care of themselves. Well, here we are on the final week, and this is what I think may be the most important in terms of how practical we can possibly get when it comes to how we experience joy. Are you ready? Bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and let's pray as we begin. Father, we pray, God, that you would speak to us, that, God, you would get so far deep into our mind and rearrange and rework and dig up and root out and plant and sow and deposit that, God, I pray that we'd walk out of this place, God, given, given the ability to go out, to change our mind, to change our thoughts, and to therefore change our future, God. Lord, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Hey, now if you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter four, and we're just gonna dive right in to what Paul's final words are on this idea called joy. And it's huge, this is it. I'm telling you, this is, the, this is it right here. You need to know this. Philippians chapter four, he says this. In verse number four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say always. Now that seems hard to do, doesn't it? There's some times I don't feel like rejoicing, but he says to do it always. He goes on to say how you carry that joy always. He goes, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, everybody look at me. We could spend the entire day talking about that right there, and I've done that before. So I want to breeze over that, and if, if, if you missed out on previous messages, let me give you the quick synopsis of it is this, is that many times we don't spend enough time with God, and therefore we spend so much time with the world that we carry what the world has to say and not what God has to say. And we take on all the, the stress and all the demands and all the pressure and all the weight of the world, and rather than giving it to God, we just feel like we're going to carry that thing. But what he says is, is that in prayer, what you can do, if you will stay there long enough with God, that you can take all that weight and all that burden and just say, I'm going to give that to you today. And that he begins to carry the weight and the load and the burden. But here's the kicker, and we've never talked about this part before, not in this specific scripture, though. Everybody say, finally. That means we're done with the series. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's say that last line together. Everybody say this to me. Everybody say, think about such things. Let's do it together. Think about such things. One more time. Think about such things. He just gave it to you right there. Again, I... I what science has been able to prove today about the mind makes Paul look like a genius, or we just recognize that he was given divine wisdom to write this stuff. Because what, what science and medical science and neuroscience has proven today takes this scripture and makes it just ridiculously smart. Now, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. They had no idea exactly how the brain functioned or how the brain worked or how the mind worked or all the intricacies of it. They didn't know all the different dynamics and parts of it and components of it and how neurons and electrons and the amygdala and this. And they didn't know. 
But what Paul says right here, if you'll go and talk to any neuroscientist or you go to find most anybody in today, what they'll tell you is this scripture right here, this scripture right here seals the deal. Because what neuroscience has proven is this, is that at least 80% or upwards of 80 to 85% of illnesses and chronic illnesses are related not to your genetics. It's related to your thought life. That literally the sicknesses, the diseases, the issues in your life, most of them, the vast majority of them, they're not related to your genetics. They're not related to your DNA. They are related to how well you manage your thoughts. And Paul comes out of the booth and says this, and he says this in verse 9, and we'll kind of read this last verse here. It says, and whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is so huge. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that when you look at how your brain works, what you'll find is this, and this is what science says. This isn't what Todd says, but this is what Paul said, is that how you manage your thoughts and how you manage your brain will dictate the level of joy that you have in life. It'll dictate the level of physical health that you have in life. Now, don't get me wrong. You can have great thoughts, but if you smoke two packs a day and eat Twinkies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're going to die. So I'm not saying that you can totally override everything. Are you with me? But I am saying that, that the most, the majority of your life's health and your emotional health, your physical health, is determined by how well you manage your thoughts. Let, let's kind of continue with this idea. Let, let me give you another example. Like, so for, the, the way this works from a scientific standpoint is this, is that your brain, whenever it thinks thoughts, this is why it affects your emotional and your physical health. When you think positive, faith-based, encouraging thoughts, it releases chemicals in your body. At the moment the thought occurs, chemicals are released in your body. Those chemicals are life-producing, recovery-producing, health-producing chemicals that release in your body. But the exact opposite is true. When you have fear-based negative-based, doubt-based, those types of negative thoughts, you have the same thing. So, for example, when, when you have positive thoughts, you have certain endorphins that are released in your body, and endorphins are healing agents. But the same is true. There's negative. There's a negative chemical. It's so big, I just got the, the it's, it's CRH is what it is. It's released in your body. So, for I'll, I'll give you an example. When they do autopsies on suicide victims, the level of CRH in their bodies is 10 times higher than that of a person who dies of natural causes. Because these negative chemicals have been released by the amount of depressing thoughts that are going through their head, which would lead a person to make such a devastating decision. The same is true about all kinds of different doubt-based, fear-based, bitter-based thoughts. They release negative chemicals in your body. Again, this is just the science behind it. If you want to, go, go Google up and read up. Uh, uh, there's a certain author and a scientist named Dr. Leaf that I would encourage you to go read. But this is backed up by a lot of different people. And the idea is this, is that you and I need to get a better grasp of how we manage our thoughts. Because I don't know about you, but when I begin to learn this, I begin to recognize I've got some really bad habits when it comes to my brain. Can I get an amen out there? How many of you ever get mad at somebody and then rehearse that thing over and over and over? What you wish you could have said, what you'd like to do. Do you ever dream up ways you want to punish people or, you know, like, like you ever like dwell on the same bitter moment, and, you know, or you've got certain issues or we've got certain childhood traumatic events that have been stored up and we relive them. See, the Bible, you need to know, works like a library. And see, what happens is, is that every time you experience these negative thoughts, 
They're released into your body. Or even when you relive these negative thoughts. And here's what I've learned about people that manage their thoughts well or manage their thoughts poorly. Everybody has negative thoughts. So don't think that I'm going to try to convince you that I want you to go out here and you'll never have a negative thought again. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? You're going to have negative thoughts. The goal is not to free yourself of ever having a negative thought, but the end result is this, is that we become aware of when those negative thoughts are there, and then we learn how to manage them properly. Because the immature people in life, this is what I find, they will dwell on negative things for hours and not be totally aware of where their brain is taking them. They will dwell on certain negative memories and carry those things for years and mostly be unaware that they're there. This is why people go to counseling. So a counselor can dig up what your junk issues are, make you aware of them. Does that make sense? But I want you to be go, go beyond being aware of them. I want you to learn how to manage them and to take the right steps to do that. Let me give you a few examples of some of the stuff that I think you need to become incredibly aware of. Because if you're not aware of your thoughts, solving them is impossible. Can I get an amen? So let, let me give you an example of some of the things that I've run into personally or I've seen in counseling situations. There are people that I would call, um, they're, they're what we call guessers. Guessers are typically going to lean towards negative outcomes, and here's why. Have you ever been in a situation where you weren't sure what another person thought about you, but in your, in your brilliant discernment, you're like, oh, I know what they're thinking. I know, what they're, I know what's going through their mind. They do not like me. Oh, I know what they're thinking. They think this, they think that. And all these negative, worry-based thoughts come into your mind, yet you have no idea what they're thinking about. But because you're a guesser, you have already basically determined that they're, they're, they're thinking something negative about you. Rarely ever do I find a person who's a guesser and always guesses people are positive. Can I get an amen? Like, that's not normally the case. How many of you have ever been a guesser in a certain situation where you're like, start predicting and you think you know what other people are thinking of you? You don't. I run into this as a pastor. I'm always on the receiving end of this thing because sometimes when I interact with people or talk to people or counsel with people, they, they're, oh, I know pastor, he's mad at me. Oh, I know pastor, he thinks I'm a dirty sinner that's gonna split hell wide open. I know, I know what he thinks. No, you have no idea what I think. Most of the time I don't think is the real answer. My wife can attest to that. Most of the time, I just don't even think. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and, and even when I do think, honest to God, I, 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 I'm an incredibly grace-based person when it comes to most anybody else. I mean, so like, I, I'm not thinking that if you ever are in an interaction with me and you're like, oh, I know what he's thinking, assume I'm not thinking or that I'm thinking really, really good about you. Just make that assumption, and that way in our relationship, you're always guessing in the positive. But we do this all the time, whether it's with a friend or with a boss or a coworker or, or a family member. We start guessing. We think we know what they really think about, and we really don't. Number two is this. Everybody say exaggerators. You're not like this, I'm sure. Um, you, the, the exaggerator is the person who basically turns a, a molehill into a mountain. Everything. Let, let me give you some examples. These are the words you would use. It was horrible. That was the worst. It's ruined. Everything is devastated. Like, you're like, I had the worst day in the world. No, you didn't. It was not that bad. We compared it to everybody else. There are people dying and starving and being brutally murdered because they followed Jesus. You didn't have the worst day. But bless God in your little heart, because you're an exaggerator, it is the most horrible thing that has ever hit planet. No one knows what it's like to be, you got a flat tire. People, like, like a million people today got flat tires. You are tripping. You need to stop exaggerating. Exaggerators use words like this, always. 
This always happens to me. But that means it's like a daily event for you, really? This is like your daily life? You're like, my cat died. This always happens. You wouldn't have any cats. Chill out. Never. This never. I never catch a break. I never get this. I never get this. No one. No one. Every time. Every time. I know. I promise. Every time. You are a drama queen or king because you have fallen into the trap of being an exaggerator. Here's an idea, a personalizer. I ran into this one with my wife. Me and my wife were driving on the road the other day, and this guy is in a truck and kind of swerves over into her lane, and she's like, man, why did he do that to me? Why, why is he rolling up over on me? And I'm like, babe, and I see him swerve into the next lane over to the right side. He'd already been to the left. I'm like, hey, babe, I don't think that was personal. I, I don't think he even, I bet he doesn't even know who you are. But many of us do that. We, we take some stuff like people are just, let me just help you. People are mean. Sometimes people are just jerks or rude or bad drivers or whatever it is. It ain't personal. It's not like they're like, mm, I see Tara over there. I'm going to go get her. No, the guy's swerving everywhere. He's an equal opportunity idiot driver, but you've personalized it. So don't, don't personalize it. Just let it be what it is. He can't drive, but, but don't, don't get all hurt up inside you. And that's so many times we take life, and we think everything is meant as a personal attack against us. Here's another one. Everybody say a forecaster. Yeah, you're like the weatherman. Um, they, here, here's what a forecaster does, is they predict the worst-case scenario Often and out loud. Like, you, you know, you're like a prophet. You can see the future. You're like, you know what? I know what's going to happen. He's going to die, and then she's going to leave, and then it's, it's going to be an explosion, and it's all going to go. And, like, you're just predicting. And, and, again, this is my experience. Whenever it comes to predictors, I rarely, if ever, I can't think of one, find a predictor who just predicts the most positive outcome in the world. I take that back. There was one guy, he was a Laker fan. He was the most delusional Laker fan. Actually, I know so a lot of Oakland Raider fans that are like this too. But like, but they're like, but they're like, but like, this is our year. No, it is not. Y'all are, are going to be at the bottom of the AFC West. This is not your year. You need to become realistic, okay? Um, or or this, this guy was a Laker fan, and we'd be, you know, we, I'm, I'm a Laker fan too, so I say we because I am with them. Um, We'd be, you know, we'd be down in the fourth quarter by 15 points, and he'd be like, all we have to do is this. We're going to get three steals in a row. Kobe's going to make three three-pointers in a row, and then we're getting right back in this game. Okay, that's, you're, you're delusional. But at least you're delusional in a positive way. Endorphins are being released. The problem is, though, is that many of us as, as forecasters and as prophets and as a predictor, we normally forecast negative events. I just did this. We, we took a trip on, was it yesterday we took a trip? Friday, we took a trip. So the, let me tell you my trip, and I'll tell you why easily I was able to forecast, you know, this way. Okay, first of all, I got to start out by going to the dentist to give it a cavity filled. Um, yay, you know, so, and then I got to go, and this is down in like Fremont. And then I got to drive down to South San Jose to, to get a, a doctor's appointment for my son. He's got to get a physical done so he can play football. And then I got to drive all the way down to Morgan Hill to go see a special teacher to get some special, and I, like, this is my day. And have you ever been in traffic trying to go to Morgan Hill late afternoon? I mean, that alone, that CRH is just being released, whatever that is, because that traffic is demonic. And then the same way it's too, San Jose to Livermore at like five, and Friday is worse. I don't know what it is about Fridays, but it's like, 
it's like, hey, everybody, let's all get on the road. It's Friday. Let's go for a ride. And we all get on the road on Friday for some dumb reason. So there's like an extra 20% of cars on the road on Friday. So anyway, but this is my day. And so my day, I start out literally telling my wife, I'm like, babe, this is going to be terrible. We got to drive to here, here, and I got to go to the dentist. And you know what, though? I was forecasting that we were going to have a negative outcome, and I couldn't have been further from the truth. It ended up being a great day. I ended up having, I have the coolest dentist in the world. That, that She gives you extra drugs. You don't feel a thing, and, and, and it, it's amazing. And so, like all these great experiences, I bump into a couple of old friends along the way. We get hooked up. We get to go play some games and, and pet some horses with my kids. I mean, just a really, really cool day that we never expected. But again, I was forecasting what? Negativity, and that's you sometimes. You start out your day, uh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be negative. I got this guy I play golf with sometimes, and we'll be on like a par four. He goes, just put me down for a seven. It's going to be bad. <laughs> well, yeah, with that attitude, don't be a forecaster. He here's another one. It's just a cynic. We, we, we know them. Cynics find something wrong with everything. Like, I'm not talking about forecasts. I'm talking about you could be in the middle of a great day, and you could have five great things going on around you, but you'll find the one negative one. You know anybody like that? Like, they can find, they could be at Disneyland, Disneyland, and something, something's bad. You know, you got the turbo pass. It takes you right to the front of the line, but something's bad. You, you know, you got there early. You're, you get to go hang late. You got to go and, and eat in Mickey Mouse's lap. I mean, everything could be fantastic. But you will find the one absolute negative, and you will dwell on that, and those are the cynical people. Blamers is another one. Blamers, yeah. The, the people that when they find their, their circumstances and they find the negative issues around them, not only is it all bad and all negative, but I can find somebody to blame for this thing. Like, there, there, is, a, there is a villain to the story, and it's you. And, um, and again, these are all these. Last one is this, justifiers. Not only are you negative, not only do you find the negative in everything or forecast the negative or guess what the negative is going to be, but what you do is is that you actually um, remind yourself of why you deserve to be negative. I, I, this one irritates me the most as a counselor. It's like, do you know what it's been like to be me? Do you know what I've been through? I have every reason to be negative. Well, you're justifying now. Now it's like I'm negative and I'm going to tell you why I'm right to be negative. And here's the deal. You very well might, but you're going to end up being a miserable, bitter old person because of you justifying all the reasons that you have to be negative. And I'm going to give you this thought real quick here. If you could put this up on the screen here. There's, this is the, the real takeaway point. Those who experience more joy in life don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. Like that, that's it. Like, like, like you, you need to write, you need to tattoo that onto your arm. You, you need to write that down. You need to put that in your Bible. You need to put that on your refrigerator. You need to put that in your dashboard, but don't look at it too often and get to a wreck. But like, you need to, you need to adopt this, that the people who experience incredibly, uh, incredibly more joy than you do, they don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. In many instances, they have less to be joyful about. The difference is that they think differently than you do. And because they think differently, they experience joy. This is the secret of life, is how well you can manage your thoughts, how well you control what you're thinking about. Let me take you to another scripture that backs this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Paul says this, and he's talking in a slightly different vein, but it makes the same point. He goes, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish 
strongholds. Now, this is what he goes on to do now. He defines what those strongholds are. He goes, we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every what? Thought to make it obedient to Christ. This has huge ramifications here. What he's saying is this, is that your life, the way that you're influenced, the battle that's being waged in your life to whether or not you're going to be a miserable person or a joy-filled person, it all hangs in the balance of your mind and how well you can manage your thoughts. In life, you will constantly be bombarded, whether it's by a spiritual attack and a spiritual enemy or just your own past and history and experiences, but negative thoughts will come into your mind. They come into my mind. They come into everybody's mind. The difference between joy-filled people and miserable people is this, is that joy-filled people learn how to capture those thoughts, to manage those thoughts, to take care of those thoughts. What do I do with them? Successful people, they don't go weeks with bitterness in their heart. They maybe go minutes or hours with bitterness in their heart. Do you see the difference? Both of you will experience bitterness. Both of you will experience a negative thought. The question is this, is how, how long will you put up with that thought in your mind? And the first thing is this, is just to become aware that the thoughts are there. That's why I wanted to make fun of all the different things that we end up doing, the guessing, the, the forecasting, the predicting. I, I want us to become so self-conscious of it that when it hits, you hear my voice, and you're like, mm-hmm, Todd was making fun of me on Sunday. That's me again. That's, yep. I want you to be able to lovingly call out your friend, call out your spouse, and say, mm-hmm, guessing again, are we? I want you to be able to lovingly do that because I don't want you to live with those thoughts because I want you to live a joy-filled life. And what Paul says is this. There's a battle being waged. What's going around in that noggin, in that dome of yours? What kind of thoughts do you think about? Because what you dwell on, what you meditate on, what you rehearse over, what you put in the forefront of your mind will determine the outcome of your emotional health and your physical health. The question you have to ask yourself is this, what do I think about? Here's where we're going to go today. I want to give you seven quick ideas of how to manage your thoughts. Are you ready? So if you're taking notes, this is the walk away for this series. This is the walk away practically for what I want you to do moving forward. Are you ready? How to manage your thoughts. Number one is this, remember the Lord. Like, like, again, apart from the purpose and presence of God, this, this is just a self-help technique. You, you can't get away from the, the power and the presence and the purpose of God in your life and that being the cornerstone of everything. But here's, here's beyond that what I want you to think about. Like, sometimes in life, you remember who you are, but you don't remember whose you are. Does that make sense? You like, you, you're thinking about who you are, but you need to think about whose you belong. Like, like I, I belong to, I'm a child of God. Like, I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Like, God is in my life. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've got a home in heaven waiting for me that God's got a plan and a purpose for my, I'm that because I'm his. Not of any good thing of myself, but because of whose I am. God, God doesn't love me because I've been good. God loves me because I'm his. And I don't remember whose I am and, and, and remembering that I've got incredible worth and incredible value, not because I determined that, but because he determined that. And so, again, if you keep thinking about what you used to be, that's what you'll continue to be. But if you start thinking about who God has called you to be and what he has planned for you, you will start to walk into the future that God has planned for you. Number two is this, and you're not going to like this, but that's just the truth, is, is that you need to forgive others without exception. And mean it. That's the tough part, isn't it? Sometimes the Bible says stuff like that. But like, I want you to love others and mean it. 
What that means is, I know you can fake it till you make it, but like, I, I want you to mean it in your heart. And many of us, we harbor bitterness. And some of us have had some incredibly wicked and terrible and evil things done to us. What I'm telling you is this, and it was Gandhi that I think said it, but it was really smart. He said, harboring unforgiveness is the equivalent of drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like, that's what unforgiveness is. Like, like you're mad at them and holding on to them in essence so you can kill yourself. That's the equivalent, because as long as I harbor those bitter thoughts, those bitter memories, and as long as I relive them or allow them to affect who I am now, I'm giving them control of my life, and I'm killing myself. Forgive others without exception. Here, here's number three is this. Forgive yourself early and often. I'm great at this, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you, you know what? God has let you off the hook, but you haven't let you off the hook. Like, God has forgiven it. But you keep punishing yourself. Why? Why would you try to punish yourself when God's not punishing yourself? Like, like, let God be the judge. Let God determine. Let God bring about judgment if he needs to. But, like, you don't need to do that. Like, like life is hard enough as it is without me punishing myself. So when I do something dumb, I'm not saying I'm not going to have a negative thought or I'm not going to beat myself up for a moment. But, again, successful people capture it quickly. Unsuccessful people will live with that stuff for days, weeks, months, and years. Can I just say, you're forgiven. You just, you need to take that. Like, bring it to God. Ask God for forgiveness. And then you're forgiven. Like, you need to receive that. You need to take, you need to walk out of those doors guilt-free. You've been forgiven. You don't owe any more. And if you do, this is what Paul said, you make the cross of Christ of no effect. Because if you're going to carry it and guilt yourself and punish yourself and be, then you're taking the punishment Jesus took on that cross and making it of no effect. Why would you do that? Let's make the cross of Christ powerful by letting it completely free us and redeem us. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. Number four is this. Focus on your God-given blessings. Like many times, again, it's perspective. We, we're, we're in a situation and we, have, we do have reasons to be negative and we could justify it, but I'm telling you, you'll make yourself miserable if you do so. What if you rather just change your perspective and start making a list of all the things you have to be grateful for? What if we had a gratitude list? What if we had a list of things that we just said, you know what, I'm going to be thankful and just go through the list of everything I can possibly think about that I have to be grateful, that I can in prayer say, thank you, God, for these things in my life. And sometimes it's thank you, God, that this didn't happen or that or I didn't end up like this. Sometimes it's thank you for what I do have. But being grateful is a huge way that you alter the way that you think. Number four, five is this, is that you actually capture negative thoughts. This is where we get real practical. In a real practical sense, what we do is this. Is when we are aware of negative thoughts, whether it's bitterness or doubt or fear or negativity or whatever it is, we just say, I know that's not of God. I know that the Lord did not put that in my mind, and I know that that doesn't belong there, and that's not going to do any good for me to keep on dwelling of that. I'm going to capture that thought. And here's where we start getting intentional versus reactionary. There's only two types of conscious thoughts that you have. Intentional or reactionary. Doesn't that just kind of make common sense? Like, how many know we have certain thoughts that just pop into our head? Those are reactionary. Then there are times where we predetermine, I'm going to think about these things. This is where we capture those negative thoughts. Because, again, what we dwell upon will become increasingly prominent in our mind and in our life. The sixth thing, the next thing that we do in light of capturing these negative thoughts is this, is that we replace those negative thoughts with the right thoughts. 
I'm going to tell you something else real simple. Your conscious mind can only hold one thought at a time. Sometimes I wonder about women. But by and large, I mean your conscious, focused mind. Because, like, I promise you, I will be around certain women. They can juggle three conversations at the same time. Like, I'll have a friend that will be talking to my wife, and I'll say something, and she'll listen to what I'm saying. It's, I don't know how y'all do that. So y'all might be unique. Dudes, we are the most simple-minded creatures in all the world. We got one thought. Conscious, subconscious, nothing. It was one. That's all we got. Women, but in your conscious, focused mind, you can only hold one focused thought at a time. So here's the reality. If you choose to focus on what is, what did Paul say? What is noble, what is pure, what is right, what is trustworthy, faithworthy, praiseworthy, whatever you can find that's excellent or good, think on those things. You know what he's saying is this. If you're thinking about something good and focusing on it, you can't think about something bad. It's, it's impossible, especially for guys. Really impossible. So he's saying you've got, so, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a thought list. Like, you can just steal Paul's if you want, but like, whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever's noble, like, create a thought list. And here's, here's ultimately why memorizing Scripture is so important. Like, you cannot bypass the, the huge implications of, of memorizing Scripture. And for those of you who've never memorized Scripture, let me give you some incentive. Like, the only way you can replace a negative thought is with a positive thought. Well, what's that positive thought going to come from? The best shot you got until you start memorizing Scripture is probably like some bumper sticker slogan, uh, uh, a Chinese fortune cookie, or what Oprah said. And I, that's just not your best bet. Memorizing Scripture, which is the absolute truth and the divine inspiration of God, that is your best bet to fight against negative thoughts. And so we need to start. So, so the questions you ask yourself is this. What is the right thought? Sometimes you ask that, have to ask yourself this question because sometimes the circumstances are negative, and you have to say, you know what? In spite of the facts, what is true? In spite of the facts that are here and present, what is true that I know about God? And you have to override facts with truth. But the only way you can do that is with Scripture. Number, number seven, and the last one is this, is you need to practice some self-care. Practice some self-care. Let, let me define kind of what I mean by that, because I'm not just saying go pamper yourself and get a, get a massage and a pedicure, although that's cool. Um, amen. Um, that, that's, that's a certain type of self-care, and I, I'm all down with that. Um, here's what I mean by that. Here's a question you should ask yourself. Who are the people that I choose to surround myself with? Because where are you influenced by? What, what words are surrounding you? What influences are surrounding you? Because negativity is an atmospheric thing. And when you're in negative environments, it is impossible to, you know, to, to be positive for a very long and extended amount of time. It, it, it's just impossible to. So, like, you have to ask yourself, if I'm constantly around other people that are negative or other people that are dragging me down... I'm not saying we don't love them and we're not there for them, but I'm saying we don't submit ourselves to those environments and go into those places for extended periods of time. You can love some people from a distance. You can invite some people out of that environment into your own environment. And I'm not saying you just abandon all people for the sake of your own personal joy, but I'm saying you use wisdom and say, who are the people I surround myself with? And if the people I surround myself with and choose to surround myself with don't lift me up, why am I spending so much time with them? Here's another question. What do you watch? listen to or read that enhances your joy like some of you watch or listen to some of the most ungodly whacked out crazy stuff you can imagine and then you wonder why you're depressed i remember i remember we had a kid who came to us this is um 
just a year ago, and they came to Delano, who's our youth leader, and he goes, hey, um, you know, my kid is really battling this and battling that and going through this and going through that. Can you talk to him? And they tried to set up a meeting with him, and like, well, I can't. I'm taking him to this death metal concert on that night, so I'll get you on another day. And I'm like, y'all don't want to know what I really thought, but you, you can't surround yourself with negative environments, negative influences, negative messages, and expect for you to be a positive, joy-filled person. So you got to take care of yourself. Again, memorizing Scripture. What is it that you're reading, watching, listening to? Who are the people that you're surrounding and choosing to surround yourself with? At some point, you need to take care of yourself and take care of the influences that are around you. Again, we're going we're gonna to close here, and I want to reiterate this thought again. Those who experience more joy don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Father, we pray, God, that you would, God, shine the light on our thoughts. God, that you would shine a spotlight on our mind. That, God, that you would, and this isn't to make us feel bad. This is to expose what is harmful to us. This is like taking an x-ray so we can find out what it is that's broken inside. God, shine the light on, on the negative that's in our mind. And God, help us to become great managers of our thoughts. I pray that everyone here within the sound of my voice will go out of this place and recognize it. When negative thoughts are there, they don't recognize it days later, God. They are recognizing it in the moment. As soon as those thoughts come, they become great at capturing those thoughts they become great at managing those. They become great at not just saying that they're there, but actually replacing them with your hope and truth and life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you know, Paul says this really simple but yet profound scripture. He goes, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to renew your mind. Sometimes we gotta dig out the old and replace it with some new. For some of us, this should be a daily event. For some of us, we've got some deep-seated emotional issues. We need to dig them up and then choose to replace them. Last thought. Jesus said, you wanna... You want to know what all of life hangs on? He goes, love the Lord with all your heart, heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You know, you can love the Lord with your mind. And the way that you do that is that you make his truth become the operating system that you live off of. Declaring his truth, receiving his truth, living out his truth, that God loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you. There is a way that leads to joy, and he wants you to be on that path. So, Father, I pray for healing in this place, Lord God. Some of us need our minds healed. We need our minds renewed. We need our minds strengthened, Lord God. So, Father, we pray that as we walk out of these doors, Lord God, we'd never be the same. That, God, we would be conscious from this point forward that, God, what's going on in our mind matters. And that, God, you want us to be great managers of our thoughts, Lord God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.